usually the very center of your Bible, near the center of your Bible, is the book of Psalms or maybe Proverbs. If you go a little bit to the right of that, again, Psalms, Proverbs, there's a little book, Ecclesiastes, another small book, the Song of Solomon, and then you get to Isaiah, which is a, a little bit larger book, so you should be able to find that. And then if you'll find chapter 28 of Isaiah, we're going to be looking at a prophecy that Isaiah gives. Again, these are God's words to his people, the people of Judah. We'll make application to our lives today. We'll also be back in 1 Peter chapter 2 toward the end of the message, but most of it will be here in Isaiah chapter 28, chapter 29, and chapter 30. It's a quick trip over to chapter 32. But if you find Isaiah 28, then a lot of it will be right there. Now, I was talking to someone just today. How are you doing? Well, something, something like that. Well, I said, it's been a rough week. He said, yeah. I said, Christians are allowed to have rough weeks. But we always need to remember that God's grace is sufficient. And I'll be frank, I've had a rough week. I went to two funerals this week. Uh, one for someone I did not know well, and one for someone I knew very well. In fact, uh, she knew me when I was just a little baby. Uh, she was the one who gave my mother a uh, baby shower before I was born. So, I mean, she's known me all my life. Well, yeah, she's known me all my life. Um, it's hard when we lose loved ones. Even if they're saved, and this lady was saved, wonderful testimony of not just faith in Jesus Christ, but a lifetime of service, it's still difficult. There's disappointments. Um, I had a certain way I wanted to fix my kitchen. The guy came out and said, yeah, I can do that for you. And uh, took all the doors off the cabinets. He took all the drawers out. And about a week later, he brought them all back, and they weren't done, and he said, I can't do it. Except now all the doors are off, and they're all stripped of paint. Boy, that's frustrating. It's okay to have a rough week. Just remember that God's grace is always sufficient. And last week, we looked at the truth that our Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, is God. He's our God, and we are his people. And this week, we're going to look at a similar uh, statement, and that is that Jesus is our cornerstone. He's that part of the building. We put that in the right place, and all the other lines flow from that cornerstone. All the other uh, measurements and adjustments come out of that cornerstone. If that cornerstone is the wrong cornerstone, or if it's placed in the wrong spot, you're going to have a hard time building your life. But when Jesus is our cornerstone, it, it just fits. I don't mean that life is easy. Like I said, Christians have rough weeks. But when we have rough weeks, we still have the peace of God in our hearts, don't we? We still have hope in our lives, don't we? We never come to that point of despair where we just say, I don't know what I'm doing here. Because we know what we're doing here. We're here to glorify God. And to grow in the knowledge of his word and in, our, in the knowledge of his grace. And to become more like Jesus Christ. And of course, Jesus Christ faced opposition. People stood against him. People called him a liar. All kinds of nasty things they said about him. And in the end, they tortured and executed him. But he has the victory. He came back to life. He rose from the dead. And when he's our cornerstone, we have that same victory, consistent victory in our lives. Now, let's look first at Isaiah 28, verse 16. Isaiah 28, verse 16. And I mentioned last week, some of you may say, well, preacher, that's nice, but I'm not having any troubles in my life. My life is going great. I, I you know, things are just wonderful. I hope it just stays this way the rest of my life. If that's you this morning, 
Let me remind you, now is the time to prepare for the trials and tribulations that are coming your way. The Bible says, my brethren counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Not if. It's not an if. We all are going to face problems. We all are going to have rough weeks. Maybe your last week wasn't rough. Maybe it'll be this week or the week following. I don't know when, but I want you to be prepared. I want Jesus to be your cornerstone. So that when trouble comes, you know that you are founded on a rock. Your foundation is on on a solid rock, and he's never going to disappoint you. And we saw some of those themes in uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 2. Let me read Isaiah 28, verse 16. Follow along as I read out loud. Verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. He that believeth shall not make haste. Father, we bring this message to you, and I, we all need your Holy Spirit. I need your Holy Spirit. Those who are listening to me need your Holy Spirit to understand the passage and its application to our lives. So I pray, I claim your promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. I claim your promise that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. I pray that we would be willing to admit where we're wrong this morning, that we'd be willing to admit where we've thought incorrectly this morning, where we've acted improperly, and come to you forgiveness, the free forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus, and come to you for the help we need to change our thinking and change our behavior. And we're so grateful that those who believe in Jesus are never disappointed, they're never ashamed, they're never uh, without confidence. And so ask, we ask again for that illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, Open our eyes to truth. Lord, we love you. It seems as if our days are, and our culture is growing darker and darker. But we know that you are the light of the world. And that that light, we can be reflections of the light. So help us to see that possibility this morning. And we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, Isaiah, all of it was written by Isaiah, inspired as he was by God to write these words. It's not always obvious, however, when he wrote various portions of the book. Some of it, he mentions exactly what was happening. Chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw a vision. This chapter, I'm not sure exactly when he wrote it. I did a little bit of research, couldn't find anything definitive. But we do know that Isaiah's, um, Isaiah's ministry, his prophecies began under King Uzziah. You can see that in chapter 1 and verse 1. And King Uzziah was a high point of the history of the Jews in Judah. King Uzziah was a strong king. He built fortifications. He had a, there was a great economy. The Assyrians at the time had been a, a, a threat, but now they had subsided. They were dramatically weaker. The, the Egyptians were going through a series of civil wars, the third intermediate period, and there wasn't a really strong ruler there, and it was a great time to be a Jew. But Isaiah is warning them here in chapter 28 that although it may be great right now, although the economy may be great right now, although your kingdom may be strong right now, trouble is coming. And if you missed the opportunity to hear the the, uh, Bible study on Wednesday night, let me encourage you to go to the uh, church's website, scroll down the page a little ways there, you'll find that uh, you have a link to Sermon Audio. And there at Sermon Audio, you can find all the previous messages 
go back and listen to Wednesday night's Bible study. We, we sort of dealt with the whole chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 28 and some of chapter 29. Today, we're just going to pull out four verses. We're going to pull out verse 16, which we just did, and 17. We're going to pull out verse 15, and we're going to pull out verse 12. So it's going to feel like I'm just grabbing here and there, and that's because if we just went verse by verse, we'd be here a long time. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting hungry. And there's some good food waiting for us, so I don't want to be here all day. But to understand this passage, you have to understand that right now is a time of prosperity for both the southern kingdom, Judah, and the northern kingdom, Israel, or Ephraim. You can see in verse 1, he refers to fat valleys. In verse 4, he refers to fat valleys. Things are great. They think, what could ever possibly go wrong? And Isaiah is saying, listen, things are going to go wrong. Now, they're not going to go wrong because we have a God who hates us. They're not going to go wrong because God has no control. They're going to go wrong because the people of Israel and the people of Judah had abandoned God. And they decided to trust instead in their alliances with either Assyria, which King Ahaz will make an alliance with Assyria, or with Egypt. Other kings will make an alliance with Egypt. And they think that their, their crafty, clever diplomacy is going to protect them. God says, no, no, that's not what you need. You need me. And I see in that an analogy for today, because we can see already that the United States is beginning to decline. It's not the same nation that you and I knew 20 or 30 years ago. Just talking with another person today was remarking at his place of work where he works. Things used to be done tidy. They used to be done uh, orderly. The tools used to be put away. He'll walk on a job site now, and it's a mess. It's as if people have no pride in craftsmanship anymore, he said to me. Now, that's not true everywhere, but in some cases, it's very true. And America will continue to decline. Is morality better today or worse than it was 10 years ago? It's much worse. Are people more right-thinking today, or are they less right-thinking today than they were 10 years ago? I, I just shake my head at this whole male-female thing. It seems so obvious to me that 99.9% of people either have XY chromosomes in their males, or they have X, X chromosomes in their females, and yet there's this whole group that wants to make a muddle of that and talk about pregnant men. Now, I'm sorry, that just brings a smile to my face. There are no pregnant men. If you have X, Y chromosomes, you're going to have a really hard time getting pregnant. Now, some people with X, X chromosomes also have a hard time getting pregnant, but I can guarantee you an XY chromosome, you're not going to get pregnant. What is the cause of this confusion? Our economy will continue to get worse. Politics will continue to get worse. People will continue to get worse. And it's not because of any political party. It's not even because of our political system. It's because Americans have abandoned God. Americans have abandoned God. It's not that we didn't know him and suddenly we realized we didn't know. We knew exactly who God was. We knew what his word was. We had a respect, even people who were not Christians. Once had a respect for God's word that we've abandoned. And when we abandon God, then judgment follows. And I'll remind you as Christians that judgment begins at the house of God, 1 Peter tells us. 
Now you might say, well, that seems sort of backward. Well, it says, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? But God always begins judgment with his own people so that he can be just in judging everyone else. Now you say, well, that's pretty scary. Well, it would be scary, except that we also know that whenever God judges his own people, he gives grace. And there's a remnant. There's a, in this uh, chapter, it talks about a residue. There's a leftover group of God's people who are faithful to him. His judgment is not intended to destroy his people. His judgment is intended to purify his people. And don't you want to be pure? Don't you have a desire to, to have God Burn all the dross out of your life and leave behind only that gold and silver that is appropriate for serving him. So let's get into our passage here. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 15. Because ye said, this is speaking to the rulers. Verse 14 says, Wherefore hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, this people which is in Jerusalem. So these are the rulers, and God says to them, Because ye have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies under falsehood have we hid ourselves. A covenant with death, an agreement with hell. Who in their right mind would make a covenant with death and an agreement with hell. People who don't want to deal with God. They have a God. They know him. He's Jehovah God. He's the Lord God. He's the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. He's the God who chose Abraham above all other people. And he said, you will be a special people to me. They knew God. They didn't want to deal with God. So they said, in order to avoid destruction, we're, we're, and we don't want to deal with God, but we don't want to face the, the consequences, we're going to make an agreement with hell. We're going to make a covenant with death. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that seems absolutely crazy. To make an agreement with hell, to make an agreement with death, so that we can avoid dealing with God. It's because human beings, we like to feel like we are in control. You do too. I do too. I like to be in control. But the truth is, I'm not in control. God is in control. Now, with his help and by his grace, boy, we can experience joy. And we can experience peace and we can ex experience that fulfillment that comes, but not because you're in control. Think about the last time you were so determined to be in control. You were willing to break relationships and you were willing to offend people just so you could get control. How did that turn out for you? It didn't turn out very well for me because I don't know everything. I'm not smart enough to figure out other people's lives because, frankly, I'm not smart enough to figure out my own life. But God knows, and God leads me, and he leads you. But these people didn't want to deal with God, so they have to go to somebody, and they had made an agreement with death, a covenant with death, an agreement with hell. Now, you say we would never do that today. Well, let me give you another, again, application of this. What is abortion if not a covenant with death and an agreement with hell? During the pandemic, you remember during the pandemic, the government told us we shouldn't be 
we shouldn't be gathering. That was dangerous. Shouldn't be gathering. Did they close down abortion clinics? During the pandemic, people were allowed to gather to protest. We were told that was okay. Were we allowed to gather to worship? No. You see, we have made, whether you understand it or not, our rulers, I say we, I don't mean you and I necessarily, but our rulers have made an agreement with hell, a covenant with death. They'll take away other rights, but they don't want to touch this right to an abortion. Now understand, and I'm going to say this over and over until you get sick of hearing it, the, the root problem is not abortion. The root problem is fornication and our misunderstanding of our sexual liberty. I understand that. But that's, that's, that's the untouchable. We have, we have separated this idea of marriage and intimacy and babies. They go together, by the way. Biblically, they go together. People do get married, and there's intimacy in marriage. Babies are a result. I'm always surprised when a married couple says to me, you know, we, we didn't expect this child. Okay. Maybe we need to sit down and talk about this, because... You're married. You didn't expect a child. Now, again, God doesn't grant every couple children. I'm not making that point. I'm just saying marriage and intimacy and babies go together. But we don't like that. We like to do what feels good to us. We like to do what we want to do. The only problem is now we've got a consequence that we've got to deal with. And our agreement with death is we'll just kill these babies so that we can maintain our own personal bodily autonomy. That's a covenant with death. That's an agreement with hell. Why do we do that? So we don't have to walk in God's way. I don't know what the statistics are. I don't even know if anyone keeps the statistic. But my strong assumption is, my assumption is, and I feel this very strongly, that if we got rid of all fornication in the United States, the problem would be greatly minimized. We've made an agreement with death. We'll give you our babies in return for our personal freedom. Think about it economically. I keep hearing that companies are willing to pay for employees to travel out of state to kill their baby so they can return to work, but they don't want to pay them for maternity leave. Seems sort of backwards, doesn't it? If you really care about your employees, wouldn't you want them to have babies? Well, except that that sort of interferes with them being workers, doesn't it? It's much easier just to pay them to eliminate the child so they can come back to work. This is a covenant with death, an agreement with hell. And not only that, but euthanasia. Now, it's, it, this is a slow-moving one in California, and we can be grateful for that. But this whole idea that people should be able to choose when they die leads to all kinds of unintended consequences. Some of you probably heard this week. Uh, I heard it, and then my dad and I were talking, and he had heard it. Maybe you heard about the Canadian military veteran who is having some uh, mental health issues. And so he called. There's a hotline. The Veteran Affairs Canada has a hotline for people to call. He's having a mental issue. He called the hotline. He said, I need mental help. And they said, well, we can help you with physician-assisted suicide. That's their answer? You're having mental health issues, so kill yourself? That's an agreement with death. That's a covenant with death. That's an agreement with hell. Now, they walked that back. The Veterans Affairs candidate said, no, 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 that's not the advice we give out. That was the advice they gave that man. 
How about the legalization of the recreational use of drugs? How is that not a covenant with death and an agreement with hell? How many of you know somebody who has died because of a, an unintended drug overdose? You know someone. It's, it's sad. When I was growing up, when you were growing up, remember the campaign? Just say, now we're told, make sure you know the source of your drugs so they're not laced with fentanyl. That's stupid. Just say no to the recreational use of drugs. I say recreational use because there are appropriate times to take drugs for heart conditions and for antibiotics. I, I understand that. I am so glad that when I had all four wisdom teeth extracted, they gave me a powerful drug that knocked me out. I don't want to go through that awake. So there is an appropriate place. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the recreational use of drugs as if we can just medicate ourselves out of our emotional pain. The answer, according to the government, is for all of our, our first responders to carry Norcan so that they can help people who've overdosed on opioids. Now, I'm not against helping people who've overdosed on op opioids. But the base answer, the starting answer, me needs to be say no to the recreational use of drugs. You say, but it's legal to, to take marijuana. It, it could be legal, but I'm telling you, it's not wise. I'm telling you, that's not what God's plan is for your life. We've made a covenant with death. We've made an agreement with hell. And the sad thing is, God's plan for us is peace. Look with me at verse 12, Isaiah 28, 12. To whom he said, it's talking about the leaders of the people. To the leaders of the people, God said, this is the rest wherewith he may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Now, if you'll look up at me for a second, we're going to come back to this verse in a second. God says, look, this is what I got for you. I have for you rest. I have for you a refreshing. But notice what the end of the verse says. Yet they would not hear. How many of you have had a little baby? Either your own little baby or someone else's little baby. And that baby was so tired, the baby did not want to go to sleep. And you put, yeah, I, I saw that hand. I wasn't going to ask for it, but I remember being there. You put the baby. I mean, it's a comfortable crib. They've got, they're surrounded by their stuffed animals. They've got their little, uh, what is that, little mobile that goes over their head that move around. And you're patting them on the, on the back and you just want them to go to sleep. And they get calm and they quiet down. And you stop patting them. And what do they do? It's like, listen, you just need to go to sleep. You're never going to be happy until you go to sleep. And the kid is just, the baby's just fighting sleep. That's the picture here. Jesus says, I have for you a rest. I have for you a refreshing, but you won't even hear it. Let me show you another verse in Isaiah. Turn over a few chapters to Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15. Isaiah 30 and verse 15. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Now, in returning, in other words, God's saying, in returning to me, you have wandered so far away, you've even got to the point where to avoid me, you've made a covenant with death. You've made an agreement with hell. Return to me, he says. Come back to me. And you'll find rest, 
and you'll be saved from the Assyrians and you'll be saved from the Egyptians. Now I'm going to use that and same meaning, but apply it. We can be saved from all this turmoil in our life, from this constant not knowing and not understanding. And, and it was said so well at one of the funerals this week. One of them said, we are lost. Not we are lost spiritually. He meant we don't know where to turn. We don't know where to go. You can be saved from that. You can have rest. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Now, that doesn't make sense. In quietness shall be my strength. Yes, in, in not striving to do it yourself, but trusting God. That's your strength. I, I know the United States is messed up. You know the United States is messed up. If you don't think the United States is messed up, you're in the wrong building. But the answer is not for us to try harder. The answer is us to return to God. Us, Christians, to return to God. The answer is not for us to take up rifles, you know, Let's get bigger guns. The answer is for us to trust God. In returning and in rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. But notice the next four words. And ye would not. You said no. God says yes. You say no. I was talking again, just conversations this week that and I've already, I'd already picked out this topic, but conversations this week that helped me focus on this message. One of you has a friend, and your friend is going through all this emotional turmoil. Life is so hard, and they don't know where to turn. So you said to them, let me take a Bible and show you what God has for you. No, no, I don't want that. They'll run to their doctor and ask for a pill, right? They'll go to the movie theater and watch the latest movie hoping to forget their troubles for a while to go down to the local tavern and have a drink and hope that that takes away their pain are they going to find ultimately peace there no here's where peace is and they say what no no no, i don't want that i don't want jesus i'll take anything else but not jesus let me show you another verse isaiah 32 verse 17 Isaiah 32, verse 17. And again, you can read the whole chapter. There's so much context here. I'm just, I'm just uh, uh, cherry-picking some verses so you understand that God's plan for us is peace. Isaiah 32, verse 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. You know, when we are disobedient to God, we don't find peace there. In fact, he's going to say later on, there is no rest, saith my God to the wicked. You know, I, I'm in turmoil when I'm not in God's will. When I'm trying on my own and when I'm selfish and when I'm trying to control the people in my life, whether it's my family or whether it's you. When I'm so determined that I've got to do this and God, I don't need your help. I've got this. Boy, I'm in all kinds of turmoil. Is that God's plan for me? No. He says right here, the work of righteousness shall be and the effect of righteousness, quietness. Now again, I'm not saying your circumstances will just turn smooth. Sometimes our circumstances continue to be tumultuous. Sometimes people continue to treat us unjustly. Sometimes we continue to face uh, uh, failure and, 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 and trouble. But the difference is what do we have in our hearts, that peace of God that passes all understanding. 
What do we have in our hearts? That quiet assurance that God is at work. Even if we can't see it. If I were to ask you this morning, do you want peace? I can imagine many of you would say, yeah, Pastor, I want peace. You know, as soon as my wife quits badgering me, I'll have peace. No, 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 you missed it. The peace is not in someone else's behavior changing. Yeah, yeah, preacher, I want peace, but you have to understand that at work, it is just a mess. No, no, you missed it. I understand your workplace is a mess. That may not change, but you can have peace even when the people around you are running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Some of us lack confidence. I say us because that's a struggle I have. Do you want confidence? Yeah, I want confidence. Yeah, preacher, I want confidence. Now, if God would just help me accomplish the work that I want. No, stop, stop. That's your problem. You want God to help you accomplish your work. God doesn't say, I'm going to help you accomplish your work. Back to uh, chapter 30, verse 15. For thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning to me, remember that's the context, in returning to me, and rest shall be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be your God has strength. He has confidence for you. He has, he has a plan. Now, I, I wish I could show you uh, more of this, but I can only show you one verse, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 7. Uh, excuse me, I said verse 7. Let me get this right. Isaiah 28, verse 6. And, and for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. Strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. If you weren't here Wednesday, go back and listen to that message. We looked at this more deeply. But what God's promising here is, listen, you're going to have your enemies come right up to the very gate of the city. They're going to be right there to annihilate you, to destroy your city, to take everything you have, and you'll either be killed or you'll be sold into slavery. That's how close they're going to get. And you know what's going to happen? When that battle is at the gate, I'm going to give you strength, and you're going to turn it around. Now we say, now God, that's a great idea, but I tell you what, why don't you give me strength way before they get to the gate? God says, no, no, I've got this. You can see it in chapter 29 too. I, I don't have time, but I can tell you this. If you want peace, if you want confidence, you have to trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding, Proverbs tells us. We don't have peace, we don't have confidence because we're trusting ourselves. And I'm not ever good enough without God's grace. It takes patience. A lot of times faith looks like patience. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, I don't mean by that some apathetic, fatalistic, yeah, well, God's going to have to do it, I'll just sit here and wait. No, you are busy, but you know that you're waiting on God. Answer prayers to turn people's hearts, to make a difference. And yes, the enemy may get, may get right up to the gate, but even if the enemy's at the gate and you have no strength left, God can give you strength to turn that battle around. It takes constant meditation on who God is, constant meditation on what God wants to do. Constant meditation on how good God is to us. True story, a fellow was trying to develop a piece of property out in Wyoming. So it's a little bit of a ways out of, out of civilization. And part of it was just preparing the ground. He said it took him weeks. They were pulling up 
boulders as big as the organ over here. Not by hand, obviously, but using earth-moving equipment. He was so sick and tired of moving rocks and pushing dirt around, and he said, God, why is this taking so long? And his neighbor wandered over as they were getting toward the end. It had been weeks of working on this piece of property to get it prepared. He said, boy, you did that really fast. It took me six months to do mine. Took the other neighbor over there a year to get his property ready. Boy, that changed his perspective. See, God was blessing him. It took time. I understand it took time. But God was blessing him. We need to constantly meditate on God's goodness to us rather than the difficulty of our circumstances. So let's go back to Isaiah 28, verse 16. Here's God's solution. If you want peace, you're going to find it in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 28, 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, remember they've made a covenant with hell, with death, excuse me, they've made an agreement with hell. And he says, God says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. He that believeth is not going to be panicked, in other words. It's not going to be in a hurry because he's got to get this done. God can give us genuine peace, genuine rest, genuine confidence. Now, we don't, all, we don't know all of God's work. I don't know all of God's work. I don't know all that God's doing right now. You don't know all that God's doing right now, but we can trust that he's at work. You say, even in the United States? Yes, even in the United States. Even in Elmira and, and in Vacaville? Yes, even in Elmira and Vacaville. Even in San Francisco? Yes, I can guarantee you God's at work in San Francisco. You say, but not Washington, D.C. Well, I do have my questions about that too. I know some of us, we're worried about what's going to happen to our country. I, I understand that. I, I, boy, look, stares, I'm staring at it in the face too. I understand that. We can trust that God's at work. He's already laid the cornerstone for our victory, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Sometimes we can be bitter about the way we've been treated, especially when someone close to us, a loved one, a family member, maybe a church member, I hope it's not a church member, but family member or a church member has stabbed us in the back. And I mentioned this recently as well. It's those people who are closest to us who, lo who love us the most that seem most capable of stabbing us in the back. Jesus wants to give you peace and rest and grace so that you don't have to be bitter about that. Some of us are grieving a loss and we're angry at God because he's taken something from us. I understand that too. But again, God's promise is rest and refreshing. His promise is peace. His promise is assurance and confidence. Let's just meditate for a few moments here as we come to the end on what cornerstone this is. The first adjective is trustworthy. It's a, tr it's a tried stone. It's a sure foundation. Jesus is our sure foundation for life. He can be trusted. I know people, maybe you do too, people who are binge drinkers. I mean, alcohol was their besetting sin. 
but they found freedom in Jesus and they don't drink anymore. I know people who are drug addicts. I mean drug addicts. They found freedom in Jesus Christ and they don't look to drugs anymore. I know people who were addicts to their own lust. They were sleeping with everyone they could find. They thought they were going to find satisfaction in life in, in just doing whatever pleased them at the moment. And God led them away from that, and now they're faithful to Jesus Christ. They're faithful to their spouse. You see, Jesus is the answer. He's a trustworthy stone. To those of us who believe, Jesus is precious because he gives us that victory. What victory has Jesus given to you? So he hasn't given me anything. Well, then I want to talk to you today. After the service, come find me. During our time of, of food and fellowship, come find me because there is victory in Jesus Christ. He is trustworthy. He is that cornerstone, that sure foundation. He's valuable. He's profitable. He calls, the Bible says he's a precious cornerstone. He's precious. And look what he does in verse 17. Judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. He's using a, uh, some construction terms. When you build a wall, you want that wall to be vertical. You want it to be 90 degrees perpendicular to the ground, right? You want your corners to meet at 90 degrees. And so you have in, in, in of course, today we use squares and different things, but in those times you had a line that you would stretch to make sure that it was exactly level. You had a plummet that you'd have a weight on the end of the string, and you'd hold it. And if the wall was bending out one way or the other, that plummet wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't fall just right. And you could tell that the wall wasn't straight. He's saying, I'm going to do that same thing with judgment. Do you think there's misjudgment in our nation today? Yes, there is. But God's going to correct that one day. I don't know when. I can tell you. But I know he will correct it one day. His judgment will be perfect. He says righteousness to, um, to the plummet. There'll be actual righteousness. Not this fake righteousness that we see in our nation today, but actual righteousness. We live in a world, we live in a world where wrong is called right and right is called wrong. Don't be intimidated by that. Just keep calling right, right. Be confident. But second, I want you to remember, when it comes to this issue of righteousness, real righteousness, the secret to righteous living is found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in you. It's not found in some list of things that I'm going to give you to do. It's found in having a relationship with God that strengthens you day by day, that gives you grace day by day. Say no to the flesh so you can say yes to God. And Jesus is the cornerstone of that because he was perfectly righteous. When Jesus was here on this earth, walking this earth, did he ever sin? Since his resurrection, has Jesus ever sinned? No. Real righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. And as I said, as I said earlier, real peace is found in living, behaving righteously. And finally, I want you to see in verse 17 that God is eventually going to sweep away all the lies and all the deceit. He says, and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and waters and the water shall overflow the hiding place. Do I think that there are conspiracies and plots and, and plans to destroy our nation? I, I, I believe those exist. 
I don't think you and I know about them. By definition, if it's a secret conspiracy, you and I don't know about them. But we can trust that God one day is going to sweep away all those lies. He's going to reveal what the truth is. Some people who are judged falsely and said those people were wrong, they're going to be shown to be right. And some people who've been held up as, as righteous and good people, they're going to be shown to be bad. We can trust God to do that. So here's three lessons that I want to leave you with today. Lesson number one, you can either deal with God or you can deal with death. Why did they make an, a, a covenant with death and agreement with hell so they could avoid dealing with God? You don't want to make a covenant with death. You don't want an agreement with hell. You don't need to make a deal with death because God is waiting to forgive anyone. He wants to forgive us. He wants to purify us. He wants to make us more like Jesus Christ, his son. Number one. Number two, don't be afraid of what the future holds. Don't be afraid of what the future holds because if your faith is in Jesus, if you're trusting in God, if you're living according to his righteousness, if you're waiting on the Lord, then you have nothing to fear in this life. Now, none of us are perfect, and I'm not saying you have to reach perfection to avoid all fear, but we should not be afraid of what the future holds because we know who holds the future. We know who's in control. We know that he's a righteous God and that he will do righteously by his people. Finally, Jesus is enough to meet your needs. It's, I know it's easier to look to your doctor because, I mean, you can call him and make an appointment. Now, you may not get in for two or three months, but eventually you can see him. And so we convince ourselves that my doctor holds the secret to my peace. Your doctor doesn't hold the secret to your peace. It's easier to go to the library and go to the self-help section and Look at all those books and find a title that interests you and pick it up off the shelf and read it. Listen to a podcast or watch somebody on YouTube or on television that'll tell you all your problems and how to fix them. The answer's right here. My friends, when I was in high school, my friends, they had a barn, and in that barn they raised little chicks. And as you know, if you've ever raised little chicks, uh, you've got to keep them warm, right? So they had some heat lamps that kept those ch chicks warm. Well, guess what? One of those heat lamps had some sort of electrical problem and the barn caught on fire. And uh, of course, barn also contains hay and other flammable substances. So it wasn't too long. They were all in the house. They saw flames shooting up the side of the barn. And the mother said to the family, what's the number for 911? What's the number for 911? And they're all just staring at it. It's 911. You know, she knew the answer to her problem, didn't she? She just didn't even recognize it. I'm telling you, the answer to your problems, the answer to your lack of peace, the answer to your turmoil in your heart and in your mind, it's right here in the Word of God. Don't go anywhere else looking for answers. You can find it here. And I'm very serious when I say today, if, if you're in turmoil, if you're struggling and you say, boy, I wish it were that easy, come see me during the Food and Fellowship. There are answers in God's word to your problems. Now, in a minute, we're going to give an invitation, and I've, I've been reminding you recently what the invitation is for. Not just to end the service so that we all know it's over. The invitation is for those people who do not know that Jesus is present. 
you don't know that Jesus is your Savior from sin, that he's forgiven you, that you have eternal life because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then during the invitation, I'm going to invite you to come down, meet me here at the I'm just match you up. If you're a fellow, I'll match you up with a fella. If you're a lady, I'll match you up with a lady. They're going to take you to a quiet place and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life, how you can be saved. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, Jesus says to us today. The invitation is also for those who are fearful. You came this morning, you're just full of fear and doubt and worry. I'm going to invite you wherever you're at to give that to God. God, I am so full of fear and worry. And here's what I'm afraid of. And here's what I'm worried about. The Bible says that he wants to give us a peace that passes all understanding. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for reminding us this morning that there is a cornerstone. Jesus Christ, a tried and sure cornerstone. And all who believe in him will not be panicked, won't be in a hurry, won't be under pressure. We believe that he's precious, and because we believe he's precious, Father, you've blessed us and made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we should show forth your praise to this generation of Americans right here in Northern California. And we thank you for calling us to this place, to Northern California, to be a light for you. Now, Father, lead us. In this time of invitation, if there's someone here that is not a Christian, they don't know their sins are forgiven, they, they, they can't point to a time in their life and they know that they have that salvation that is offered in Christ Jesus. This morning, I'm asking, Father, that you would convict them, you bring them forward. Or maybe during the time of food and fellowship, they'd ask me, ask a friend, what is he talking about? Because, Lord, we don't want anyone to go home, to leave here, wondering if their sins are forgiven, wondering if they have a relationship with you. And then second, Father, for the ones that came this morning, fearful and worried. Maybe it's not our world or our nation that makes them worried. Maybe it's some other circumstance. Father, would you speak to their heart? May they be free to give that fear and worry to you. And find that rest and refreshing that you offer. And not close their ears. Not fight against it as a baby fights against sleep. But take that quietness and confidence that you want to give them. And find peace in, in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. That's my prayer this morning. And I ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. If it's